Father in heaven, we pray for those today who are graduating, that your blessing will be with them, and that you will guide and lead in their lives. And Lord, as we look to the issues uh, that face us here in this place, I pray as we go to your word that you will speak to our hearts, and we will gain from this day much that we need. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. That last line, listen to that line. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Okay, but what does it consist of? What is the essence of life? I was pondering that question after I I read through that passage, and I thought, what is the essence of life? So, so just like with all the meaningful questions in life, I went where we always go to find the answers. I, I Googled it. <laughs> and here's what I found. I found a couple of things. Breathing is the essence of life. Breathe deeply, live fully. Well, okay, I guess that's true enough. You're not breathing. That's not going to work out for you. But maybe that's a little thin. Now, what else? It is better to create than to learn. Creating is the essence of life. We have that thanks to Julius Caesar. I think that uh, probably was very true about his life, wasn't it? And he didn't learn much. Well, what else did we find? Oh, Aristotle. The energy of the mind is the essence of life. Now, you might think that Aristotle's view and Julius Caesar's view are so far apart they could never be brought together. However, I want to show you exactly what you get when you get the view of of Caesar and the view of Aristotle and you bring them together. Here's what you get. You get Oprah Winfrey. Look at this. (laughs) Energy is the essence of life. That sounds like Aristotle, right? But now listen to this part. Every day you decide how you're going to use it by knowing what you want and what it takes to reach that goal and by maintaining focus. You thought you couldn't bring those two together, but there it is. So now you know Oprah Winfrey is half Aristotle, half Julius Caesar. So that makes sense. All right, what else? Change is the essence of life. Be willing to surrender what you are for what you could become. That's Reinhold Niebuhr. But now all of these that we've dealt with so far are in the realm of great things and great accomplishment. But there's some other personalities out there that are philosophers as well, so we get this one. The essence of life is not in the great victories and grand failures, but in the simple joys. Well, we didn't really find that final essence of life in that, did we? It's kind of all over the place. There's a lot of different people say a lot of different things, have a lot of different ideas. I found one other thing that I thought was actually pretty good. It was something John Lennon once said. I'll have to read it to you because you can't see those words. But it said, when I was five years old, my mother always told me that happiness was the key to life. 
When I went to school, they asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up. I wrote down, happy. They told me I didn't understand the assignment. And I told them they didn't understand life. <laughs> so that seems fair. Now don't suppose for a moment that I believe we have prop properly answered the question, what is the essence of life? But we certainly have gained some perspectives here. And we go back to the man who queried Jesus that day in the passage that we read. I think he was hoping for a concrete answer, but Jesus used the occasion of his question to address at least one of the myths as to the essence of life, that life is about an abundance of provisions. Jesus is, is saying no, but that kind of reminds me of another one you see sometimes. You ever seen this one? He who dies with the most toys wins. Luke 12, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Now there was a way in which this parable applies to all of us. Now you might read that first part and think, well that doesn't really apply to me because I'm not a rich man who just had an abundant harvest. But I want you to remember that this parable is being told in response to the question of a man who said, tell him to share with me. Jesus says, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. So to keep in our minds as we go through here is, what kind of greed do I need to guard against? Is it the fixating on amassing great wealth? Or maybe is it the fixating on getting my fair share? You see, that really is the issue that kicked this off. There was someone who was certain they were not getting financial justice with their brother. He was convinced that one of the primary roles that Jesus ought to play in his life was to assure he got financial justice. Well, I want to ask you, is this an area of greed that you have to guard against where you become certain that one of Jesus' primary roles in your life is to make sure you have financial justice, that you have fulfillment, that you are getting rewards? That's the context of this parable. Verse 17, the man thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. All right. So now you've probably heard this parable before. You probably kind of know where it goes. And so you already know 
that there's something wrong in the attitude of this rich man, right? But what has he done wrong? Are bigger barns automatically wrong? I mean, does the Bible spell out a barn should be this big and any bigger is sin? No. So bigger barns in and of themselves are not wrong. Is laying aside provision for the future automatically wrong? Certainly not. In fact, I hope you are all laying aside provision for the future. If, this was the, if we were doing the parable of the ten virgins, we would be extolling those who planned ahead, right? Is it wrong to take life easy, as in not to constantly stress and seek to get more and more and more? No. So what has he done wrong? We might be quite confused if Jesus hadn't in fact told us exactly what he meant. And interestingly, I think what Jesus is getting at is not all that far from the comment of John Lennon, though I'm not at all confident Lennon ever found that happiness, even if he as a child was close to the answer. Luke 12, verse 20. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? You see, this is the twist in the story. The unexpected outcome, death, the great equalizer. And so to fight against that attitude of he who, win, who, he who gets, has the most toys wins, whoever dies with the most toys wins, that is, that's it, finally got it right again. We have asked a special guest to join us today, Grumpy Cat, <laughs> who brings us back to reality. Whoever dies with the most toys still dies. So other than being a total downer, what is Jesus trying to say in this parable? It comes in verse 21. This is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. So the obvious question that this parable lays upon us is this. Am I rich towards God? What does that even mean? Do you know? Because sometimes we get caught in some mental traps, don't we? Thinking that being rich towards God was what the wealthy people were doing at the temple when they were dumping their treasures into the treasury when in fact Jesus said it was the widow who put in the two mites who was being rich towards God. What does it mean? Well, remember in verse 15, Jesus says, life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And so in that context, I ask you, do we truly believe this? 
Now, I know we know this in our minds. I know we've heard this before. I know that it's said all the time. But do we in our hearts really believe this? And the, and the truth is, if we had lived in just about any other era of Earth's history, this text would not be a hard one for us. Because life was not filled with an abundance of possessions, except for very few. If you wanted something, you had to make it. Christmas used to be a time not when you bought stuff and gave it, but when you made things and gave them. An abundance of possessions was not a problem. So when the Bible says life does not consist in an abundance of possessions, when we really take a look at our lives and how we live our lives chasing after possessions, I have to say, do we really believe this? I know we know we're supposed to. But I think sometimes we're a bit more like country music singer Chris Jansen about this. He says, I keep hearing that money is the root of all evil that you can't put a camel through the eye of a needle. I know that's probably true, but it still sounds pretty cool because it could buy me a boat and it could buy me a truck to pull it. See, that's what we think of when we think of money, isn't it? And when I don't have a boat or a truck to pull it, it's pretty easy for me to say, yeah, money's not my problem, except I don't have any. Right? And then I trundle off smugly thinking I don't have a problem with greed since I don't have as much as some others except my whole fixation about not having as much as others exposes the lie of my pretense and pretty well puts me by default with Chris Jansen. I wish I had a rich uncle that had kicked the bucket and I was sitting on a pile like Warren Buffett. I know everybody says money can't buy happiness, but it could buy me a boat. A lot of wisdom out there. Not always where you expect to find it either. Les told us a children's story at the beginning of an encounter he had with his parents when he was at an age where it was very easy to compare what his life was with what some others' lives were. And his mom brought to him a reality check that has blessed him the rest of his life. Never be embarrassed with what you have. Keep it nice and use it to serve the Lord. And in heaven's eyes, that's a palace. See, don't get caught in that mentality where you're not doing what God has placed in your life to do because you think what you have isn't nice enough or isn't enough. Maybe the Lord has put on your heart to have people over to your house to fellowship with. He did yours. But if you sat down and said, I can't do that because my house isn't as nice as some of the people in this church. Well, I'll tell you what, there's some people in this church with really nice houses. And if they're the only ones that are allowed to do ministry, there's not going to be much ministry done in this place. 
So you don't make the decision as to whether or not you're going to bring someone into your home to use the gift of hospitality as to whether or not your house is as nice as someone else's. You make it based on the spirits moving in your heart. Because maybe you don't know this, but the greatest joy is not always found in the biggest house. Sometimes there's great joy in the hut. Verse 21, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. Are you rich towards God? It means different things for different ones. And there's a lot of ways in which we can be rich towards God. We're going to talk about a lot of those in a minute, but if you'll forgive me for being so bold, since we've kind of been on the subject lately, have you been rich towards God regarding your pledge to our building fund? You see, it's not one of those things that just belongs to the people who can dump lots of money in, if we want ownership, if we want to be a part of what God is doing, then it belongs to all of us, whether we're able to make a big gift or can only make the tiniest of gifts. But just because I don't have a boat and a truck to pull it doesn't mean I'm excluded there's still a place for me. There's still a role for me. I can still learn what it means to be rich towards God even if what I have to give doesn't seem to me like it's going to make a difference. But it makes a difference to me. I'm going to ask Steve Sherman to come up here and join me, and he's going to help me, and we're going to talk about some things. But I want to bring you a report today on what took place last Sabbath when we had our special day of pledging and giving. And so I want to tell you what happened. We had last Sabbath uh, pledged and given one-time gifts totaling 615785 That's amazing, isn't it? Praise God for that. But let me tell you something else about that. That number came from just 49 giving units in this church. Now, that's kind of a clumsy term, but let me explain it. Because we're not all individuals who give individually. We give as families, right? I mean, you might be an individual here or you might be a family. And so it's kind of a technical term that means those in your home. So, so Alicia and I and our kids are a giving unit. We give together but others who are here who are not married, you alone make up that giving unit. But the point of it is, 49 families or individuals gave that number. Now what I want to tell you is, it makes the point extremely well that there's been a lot of faithfulness in this community of those who've been blessed, who have come forward and given a great amount, far more than I ever could. And they've gotten us down the road on this, and then monthly pledges that were pledged last week was 17,896. Now, I want to break these numbers down for you a little bit. So, one time gifts 
and the monies that we have going towards our building fund that we had previous to that brings us to a total of $1.8 million out of a needed $2.5 million, which means we have left to raise around 700000 Now, I believe we'll be able to do that, and there are a lot of folks who are still arranging their gifts and getting those monies in and a lot of conversations going on. So we continue to push towards that goal, but I believe we will make it to that goal. Now, as far as the monthly pledge gifts, we had 17,896 pledged out of a total for our goal of 50,000 a month pledge, which leaves us about 32,104 left that we need on a monthly basis. Now, that's roughly a third, if you do the math really quick. 17 is roughly a third of 50, so we're roughly a third of the way there. Now, I'm also very optimistic about this number, and let me tell you why. So last Sabbath, 109, we, we received 109 pledges towards the monthly giving. But I want to tell you that I believe that represents only about 20% of the possible giving units within this church. So what I want to say to you is it's a good start. We got a third of it with just 20%. It's a good start. But like I said last Sabbath, and like I'll continue to say in the days ahead, yes, 50,000 is the goal, but that's not the bigger goal. The bigger goal is 100% participation. And if we have that, that 50,000 is not a problem. It'll take care of itself. The point is that everyone participates so that we all have ownership in what we're doing, so that we're all united together in this purpose, and we all participate as we are able. So what does that look like? There were questions that some asked is, you know, I, I don't really have a framework to know what I ought to do with this. Well, well this, is, this is what we talked about, and this is what I, we came up with is I think we should shoot, each of us should shoot, those of us who have steady monthly incomes, on around 2 to 3% as a target for what we're pledging on a monthly basis. That's what Alicia and I have done, and that's what I want to challenge everyone to do. But if that's going to break you, at least try the 1%. Even if to you that seems like so little, it'll make no difference. Well, it'll make a difference in you being rich towards God. And that's the challenge of the parable. That's what protects us from the different kinds of greed that can take place in our lives. And when we participate as we're able, then we're a part of it. Now, some of the rest of you, maybe a benchmark you ought to look at is more like 1000 a month or somewhere in the neighborhood of 5%. Well, how would you know if you're kind of in that category? Well, let's, let's put it back in the context of the parable. It wasn't wrong for the man to build a bigger barn, but it was wrong for him to build a bigger barn without also being aware of being rich towards God. So maybe a way to think about this is to put it in the context of how much money do I put away on a monthly basis towards provision for the future? And am I able to match that in richness towards God? 
So I put that challenge out there to you because I want us to be rich towards God. And I want us all to participate in a great work, and I want us all to have the shared pride together and experience together of accomplishing something to extend the ministry of our church, to give a space for our kids, to open up the lobby for fellowship, and to make the generational contribution that the Lord has placed on us in our day. 100% participation. Every giving unit committed to something. That's what we're going for. That's what's going to make the difference. Now, now, I asked Steve to join me here because, like I said before, yes, this is one of the ways we're rich towards God and one of the ways we need to be rich towards God. But there's more than that too, isn't there, Steve? How else can we be rich towards God? We are very blessed here as we build these buildings to increase our potential to do ministry at the same time to put out a call to you for increased participation in ministries. And the pastoral staff, we've been evaluating our whole church and we've listed over about 50 ministries that take place here in the church. I want to highlight a few of them. And we've found the people who lead those ministries and we want to put out a call, and we believe God's putting out a call, not just for our money commitment, but for our talent commitment. And there are so many opportunities here for you to serve that I, I just want to highlight a few of them. We believe that God has given each of us a gift to use to serve Him. Amen. And so some of the opportunities are, Les already mentioned, um, the children's division. I think there's a need for about 15 more positions. So if you have an interest there, we want you to talk to Pastor Barb or somebody on staff. One of the other areas that we have a need for is in our Gift and Thrift Community Service Center. Believe it or not, I'm the official Spanish translator down there. <laughs> now that tells you that there's a great need. I can do okay, but we could really use somebody down there who speaks fluent Spanish. We get a lot of fluent people uh, that go through there. And it would be good if somebody knew more than two words in the sentence to figure out what was going on. But they have a need for people to help clean and fold and serve down there. So that's an opportunity. Uh, quilting is another opportunity. Uh, the, the cart ministry, I don't know if any of you have been benefited by being brought up to church. If you park way out and they drive you up, they are in need of some drivers, and uh, we're looking for help there. The prayer room in the back, they need help. One of the big ones is First Impressions, the greeters. And I want to tell you, Pastor Jeff, you've seen it and others. When people enter the church, they will enter some with tears in their eyes. Some look lost. Some have a very pressing, important question, where's the bathroom? Mm -hmm. And it's very important that there are people there to greet, to say hello. And there's an opportunity. We have openings for people to help us with greeters. So we want to put out a call to you. If you have an interest, there's an area you're interested in, call the office, leave your name, leave a number, contact one of the pastors. We want to put you in an area that you're really interested in. Now, if there's not an area that you're really interested in, we're going to put you in an area anyway. <laughs> okay? But we'd love to have you in that passion area of, of helping. The deacons need help, the deaconesses, 
uh, other areas. So we're putting out a call that we believe, Pastor Barb listened to a seminar this week where the, the pastor said, everyone in the church should attend one and serve one. I would put out a challenge if you're not attending a Sabbath school class, if you're just coming to church, which is great, but if you're not going to a Sabbath school class, plug into a Sabbath school classes because these Sabbath school classes, Pastor, have so many ministries and so many things and are working with new people. So if you're not in a Sabbath school class, find one or invite somebody to come with you to Sabbath school. And I, I've been telling the Sabbath schools, it's a Bible study. So people may not know what Sabbath school is. People may not want to go to school again and they may be confused with what's this Sabbath school. Tell people, we've got this great Bible study. Come and fellowship and be with us. So we, the pastoral staff, want to put out this call to you. There are so many areas where we can use your help and encouragement and talent. So we are connecting the ministries with names so that when you talk to us at the office, we'll have somebody get in touch with you where your talents, not only your money, but your talents can be given to the Lord to build his kingdom because we're building these buildings to bring people to Jesus. Amen. Amen. So I just want you to get this concept in your mind. What would it mean for me to be rich towards God? So that's the point in the parable. That's the whole issue. And there are many ways we can do that. Now, like Steve said, we're by expanding our space for children's ministry, we are also expanding children's ministry. There'll be more classes. There will be greater need. And let me tell you something. I appreciate the parents who are coming through those ages who invest in their kids while they're that ages. But let me tell you something I've found in the different churches I've pastored over the years is usually the best-run Sabbath schools are not the ones that have an endless line of parents who are covering but rather the ones who have an older member whose children are probably already grown who have invested themselves in the life of that particular Sabbath school class and have built it into an amazing thing. This is a call that goes out for people who have that ability to make this kind of a difference in the life of young people. And maybe you don't know at this point, that's probably good because Pastor Barb has most of the primary leadership she needs in place. What she needs now are people to participate and to learn going forward. So take a look at that. Get involved with that. Be rich towards God with every part of you. Pastor, let me just throw one other thought in here too. I forgot to mention it. We, we want you to either to find a small group or start a small group if you're interested in that. We get amazing experiences and stories coming out of that. And even when we're not having our small group series, there's still our groups that are meeting. So if you have an interest to start one or get in one, talk to me. Okay. Amen. All right. So, so when we're rich towards God, we build up His church in every way. Physically, spiritually, we build it up with love. I believe that's his call on us. We put the cards in again, the pledge cards in again. If you didn't get a chance last Sabbath and you weren't here, you can fill out your pledge card this week and we'll have deacons in the back. You just tear that off and put it in there. We'll have deacons in the back that can 
that can uh, record that and pass it on to Joyce. The big picture here, we're not going to spend every Sabbath talking about this, but we're going to come back to it, and we're going to talk about it, and we're going to get this done, and we're going to get it taken care of, and we're going to break ground, and, and we're going to do this work because I believe the Lord is in it, and I believe He's in our hearts as well, and He will guide us to that. So make a point. Be on the list of those who are participating that are driving us towards that 100% goal, and look for those opportunities where you can become invested in the life of this place. I appreciate it that people come, but you will be so much more enriched if you also invest yourself in the life of this place. God has given us a great place to meet. God has given us amazing brothers and sisters to love. God has given us a direct challenge of something for us to do And he's given us 500 kids to share Jesus with. Let's do those things. Let's be rich towards God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray that your grace will be in us. That you will forgive us for our shortcomings. And that you will place within our hearts the desire to not just lay aside provision for our own future, which we must do, but also to be rich towards God, to participate in the great works that happen in our time, that we might know the joy of having been a part of those works. Continue to bless this congregation, and may we do your will. In Jesus' name, amen.